Hello everyone and welcome to the Dear Future Hubby Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am your host, Therese Cerise, and today I will be reading from my book of poetry entitled A Strong-Willed Mind, Healing Scars Over Time Through My Poetry. You are so appreciated. I appreciate the applause. (laughs) Excuse me. And today's poem is entitled, Guide Me, Lord. Here we go. I'm out here feeling all alone and hopeless just the same. Please hear me, help me, and guide me, Lord. Don't forget my name. No one knows me like you do. I need your wisdom to guide me through. Please be my shelter in the storm. Protect me from my enemies, Lord. I look to the hills where I find your help. When I am weak, it's you who makes me strong. It's true. I question you sometimes when times get really tough. But I should know by your history that your promise is always enough. You never lie. You won't leave me. You are the infinite truth. Excuse me. Hear me, help me, and guide me, Lord. I owe my life to you. So I hope that y'all have had the most amazing evening, morning, afternoon, whenever it is that you hear this episode. And for those of you who have been listening to my episodes for quite some time, we are learning about the wives in the Bible. So intermission has concluded. (laughs) And so... Now we are back to learning about the wives in the Bible. So today I wanted to talk about choosing wisely. Now, I do understand that sometimes choices are made for us indirectly, but hopefully even in those choices being made on our behalf, they are wise choices. Um, For those of you who don't know here on this episode and on this podcast, we are raw which stands for real and wise. Now, although I will be the first to tell you that I don't always make the wisest choices or the wisest decisions, it is my sincere hope that anyone who is listening to the level of transparency that I've displayed on this podcast, um, that you are learning from my mistakes and not doing the same or following the same path. Now, where I have used wisdom and I've been able to soar, elevate and rise, then hopefully you can take and glean from that wisdom and do the same. So I'm going to be reading out of the book of Exodus that is spelled E like Eddie, X like X-ray, O like Oscar, D like David, U like umbrella, S like Sam. And it is going to be a variation. So. I will be reading literally if you're trying to follow along. Hopefully you're not driving, but if you are trying to follow along, um, I'll be reading Exodus chapter 2, 1 through 
25, verses 1 through 25. I'll also be reading Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 31. And last but not least, I'll be reading Exodus 18, um, chapter 18, verses 1 through 27. So I will try to get that within the 45 minutes to 50 minutes um, of this episode. Excuse me. And hopefully I won't be before you long. But yes, here we go. A man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and had a son. She saw there was something special about him and hid him. Wait a minute. That is not where I was trying to go. Hold on. This is talking about the book of Moses. Maybe I am trying to go there. So here we go. Um, let's <laughs> and action part two. <laughs> okay. A man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and had a son. She saw there was something special about him and hid him. She hid him for three months. When she couldn't hide him any longer, she got a little basket boat made of papyrus, waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and placed the child in it. Then she set it afloat in the reeds at the edge of the Nile. Excuse me. All right. The baby's older sister found herself a vantage point a little way off and watched to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile to bathe. Her maiden strolled on the bank. She saw the basket floating, the basket boat floating in the reeds and sent her maid to get it. She opened it and saw the child, a baby crying. Excuse me. Her heart went out to him. She said, this must be one of the Hebrew babies. Then his sister was before her. Do you want me to go and get a nursing mother from the Hebrews so she can nurse the baby for you? Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, go. The girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter told her, take this baby and nurse him for me. I'll pay you. The woman took the child and nursed him. After the child, after the child was weaned, she presented him to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses, which is meaning pulled out, saying, I pulled him out of the water. Time passed. Moses grew up. One day he went and saw his brothers, saw all that hard labor. Then he saw an Egyptian hit a Hebrew, one of his relatives. He looked this way and then that. When he realized there was no one in sight, he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. The next day, he went out there again. Two Hebrew men were fighting. He spoke to the man who started it. Why are you hitting your neighbor? The man shot back. Who do you think you are telling us what to do? Are you going to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses panicked. Word's gotten out. 
people know about this? Pharaoh heard about it and tried to kill Moses, but Moses got away to the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. The priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came and drew water, filling the troughs and watering their father's sheep. When some shepherds came and chased the girls off, Moses came to their rescue and helped them water their sheep. When they got home to their father, Ruel, Riel, he said, that didn't take long. Why are you back so soon? An Egyptian, they said, rescued us from a bunch of shepherds. Why, he even drew water for us and watered the sheep. He said, so where is he? Why did you leave him behind? Invite him so he can have something to eat with us. Moses agreed to settle down there with the man who then gave his daughter Zipporah, meaning bird, to him for his wife. She had a son and Moses named him Gershom, which also means sojourner, saying, I'm a sojourner in a foreign country. Many years later, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Their cries for relief from their hard labor ascended to God. God listened to their groanings. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw what was going on with Israel. God understood. We're fast forwarding. Now I'm in chapter four. Moses objected. So let me just give you a little bit in chapter three, because you won't understand why he objected. <laughs> so. Uh, hold on. Well, we might as well read chapter three. Here we go. Moses was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west end of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God, Horeb. The angel of God appeared to him in flames of fire blazing out of the middle of a bush of a bush. <laughs> he looked. The bush was blazing away, but it didn't burn up. Moses said, what's going on here? I can't believe this. Amazing. Why doesn't the bush burn up? God saw that he had stopped to look. God called to him from out of the bush. Moses, Moses. He said, yes, I'm right here. God said, don't come any closer. Remove your sandals from your feet. You're standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, afraid to look at God. God said, I've taken a good, I've taken a good look. I've taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. 
I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know all about their pain. And now I have come down to help them, pry them loose from the grip of Egypt, get them out of that country and bring them to a good land with wide open spaces, a land lush, with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. The Israelite cry for help has come to me, and I've seen for myself how cruelly they're being treated by the Egyptians. It's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses answered God, but why? What makes you think that I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'll be with you, God said. And this will be the proof that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God right here at this very mountain. Then Moses said to God, suppose I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your father sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What do I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. God continues with Moses. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob sent me to you. This has always been my name. And this is how I always will be known. Now be on your way. Gather the leaders of Israel. Tell them, God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me saying, I've looked into what's being done to you in Egypt, and I've determined to get you out of the affliction of Egypt and take you to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hevite, and the Jebusite, a land brimming over with milk and honey. Believe me, they will listen to you. Then you and the leaders of Israel will go to the king of Egypt and say to him, God, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness where we will worship God, our God. I know that the king of Egypt won't let you go unless forced to. So, I'll intervene and hit Egypt where it hurts. Oh, my miracles will send them reeling, after which they'll be glad to send you off. I'll see to it that this people get a hearty send-off by the Egyptians. When you leave, you won't leave empty-handed. Each woman will ask her neighbor and any guest in her house for objects of silver and gold, for jewelry and extra clothes. You'll put them on your sons and daughters. Oh, you'll clean the Egyptians out.
And that was chapter 3, 1 through 31. Wait a minute. Let me go back. Let me go back. I'm sorry. Chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 22. Now we're in chapter four. Moses objected. They won't trust me. They won't listen to a word I say. They're going to say, God appear to him hardly. So God said, what's that in your hand? A staff. Throw it on the ground. He threw it. It became a snake. Moses jumped back fast. God said to Moses, reach out and grab it by the tail. He reached out and grabbed it and he was holding his staff again. That's so they will trust that God appeared to you, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Side note, I'm trying not to laugh because this is what I sound like in my God voice. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) and action. God then said, put your hand inside your shirt. He slipped his hand under his shirt, then took it out. His hand had turned leprous like snow. He said, put your hand back under your shirt. He did it, then took it back out. (coughs) Excuse me, as healthy as before. So, if they don't trust you and aren't convinced by the first sign, the second sign should do it. But if it doesn't, if even after these two signs, they don't trust you and listen to your message, take some water out of the Nile and pour it out on the dry land. The Nile water that you pour out will turn to blood when it hits the ground. Moses raised another objection to God. Master, please. I don't talk well. I've never been good with words. Neither before nor after you spoke to me. I stutter and stammer. God said, and who do you think made the human mouth? And who makes some mute, some deaf, some sighted, some blind? Isn't it I, God? So get going. I'll be right there with you, with your mouth. I'll be right there to teach you what to say. He said, oh, master, please send somebody else. God got angry with Moses. Don't you have a brother, Aaron, the Levite? He's good with words. I know he is. He speaks very well. In fact, at this very moment, he's on his way to meet you. When he sees you, he's going to be glad. You'll speak to him and tell him what to say. I'll be right there with you as you speak and with him 
as he speaks, teaching you step by step. He will speak to the people for you. He'll act as your mouth, but you'll decide what comes out of it. Now take this staff in your hand. You'll use it to do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said, I need to return to my relatives where who I need to return to my relatives who are in Egypt. I want to see if they're still alive. Jethro said, go and peace be with you. God said to Moses and Midian, go return to Egypt. All the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took, Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey for the return trip to Egypt. He had a firm grip on the staff of God. God said to Moses, when you get back to Egypt, be prepared. All the wonders that I will do through you, you'll do before Pharaoh. But I will make him stubborn so that he will refuse to let the people go. Then you are to tell Pharaoh, God's message, Israel is my son, my firstborn. I told you, free my son so that he can serve me. But you refused to free him. So now I'm going to kill your son, your firstborn. On the journey back, as they camped for the night, God met Moses and would have killed him. But Zipporah, his wife, took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses's member with it. Talking about, if I am correct, y'all are more than welcome to correct me, but I believe what she did was circumcised her son and took the foreskin from her son's circumcision and touched her husband's penis with it. She said, oh, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. Then God let him go. She used the phrase bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. God spoke to Aaron, go and meet Moses in the wilderness. Let's try this again. <laughs> God spoke to Aaron, go and meet Moses in the wilderness. He went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron the message that God had sent him to speak and the wonders he had commanded him to do. So Moses and Aaron proceeded to round up all the leaders of Israel. Aaron told them everything that God had told Moses and demonstrated the wonders before the people. And the people trusted and listened believingly that God was concerned with what was going on with the Israelites and knew all about their affliction. They bowed low and they worshiped. All right, so we got one more passage to read and that because that just concluded Exodus chapter four, one through 31. So I might as well add that we literally are reading four different passages. So we have read Exodus two, 
verses 1 through 25, Exodus 3 verses 1 through 22, Exodus 4 verses 1 through 31. And we're going to conclude with Exodus 18, chapter 18. And that's going to be 1 through 27. So let me get there real quick. Are y'all enjoying my impression of God? Lord, I'm not mocking you. I'm just trying to read some verses. Okay. Because I don't need lightning striking me at any given moment. Okay, so here we go. Jethro, priest of Midian and father-in-law to Moses, heard the report of all that God had done for Moses and Israel, his people. The news that God had delivered Israel from Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken in Zipporah, Moses' wife, who had been sent back home and her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, meaning sojourner, for he had said, I'm a sojourner in a foreign land. The name of the other was Elizer, God's help. That's what that meant. Because the God of my father is my help and saved me from death by Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses's father-in-law, brought Moses, his sons and his wife, there in the wilderness where he was camped at the mountain of God. He had sent a message ahead to Moses. I, your father-in-law, am coming to you with your wife and two sons. Moses went out to welcome his father-in-law. He bowed to him and kissed him. Each asked the other how things had been with him. Then they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law, the story of all that God had done to Pharaoh and Egypt in helping Israel, all the trouble they had experienced on the journey and how God had delivered them. Jethro was delighted in all the good that God had done for Israel in delivering them from Egyptian oppression. Jethro said, Blessed be God who has delivered you from the power of Egypt and Pharaoh who has delivered his people from the oppression of Egypt. Now I know that God is greater than all gods because he's done this to all those who treated Israel arrogantly. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a whole burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron, along with all the elders of Israel, came and ate the meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his place to judge the people. People were standing before him all day long, from morning to night. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What's going on here? Why are you doing all this? And all by yourself, letting everybody line up before you from morning to night. Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me with questions about God, when something comes up, they come to me. I judge between a man and his neighbor and teach them God's laws and instructions. Moses' father-in-law said, This is no way to go about it. You'll burn out. And the people right along with you. This is way too much for you. You can't do this alone. Now listen to me. Let me tell you how to do this 
so that God will be in this with you. Be there for the people before God, but let the matters of concern be presented to God. Your job is to teach them the rules and instructions, to show them how to live, what to do. And then you need to keep a sharp eye out for competent men. Men who fear, ladies, listen to this part. (laughs) This is me interjecting. This is not what the scripture says, but I'm going to say this to the ladies. And then you need to keep a sharp eye out for competent men. Men who fear God, men of integrity, men who are incorruptible and appoint them as leaders over your households. (laughs) Okay, let me go back to the scripture. And then you need to keep a sharp eye out for competent men, men who fear God, men of integrity, men who are incorruptible and appoint them as leaders over groups organized by the thousand, by the hundred, by 50 and by 10. They'll be responsible for the everyday work of judging people. Among the people, they'll bring the hard cases to you, but in the routine cases, they'll be the judges. They will share your load and that will make it easier for you. If you handle the work this way, you'll have the strength to carry out whatever God commands you and the people in their settings will flourish also. Moses listened to the counsel of his father-in-law and did everything he said. Moses picked competent men from all Israel and set them as leaders over the people who were organized by thousand, by the thousand, by the hundred, by fifty, and by ten. They took over the everyday work of judging among the people. They brought the hard cases to Moses, but in the routine cases... They were the judges. Then Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law who went home to his country. So that includes the reading of the passages. So let's talk about this and digest this just a little bit. So what I noticed was from reading the passages is that there were some young ladies that were going to feed their shepherds. I'm sorry, (laughs) feed their um. Hold on, let me get there. Because trying to go by memory just is not working right now. Okay, so pretty much what ended up happening was that um, Moses ended up helping these women. Um, They went to go feed to water their sheep, their father's sheep. And there were some shepherds that came and chased them off. So Moses, he actually went and saved them. He rescued them. And then he helped them to water their sheep. <coughs> and he everything happened so quickly that they returned rather fast. So their father, Reu, told them that it didn't take so long. And then he asked them, why were they back so soon? So they went on to tell him about the Egyptian who rescued them from a bunch of shepherds. And how he assisted them with feeding their sheep. And I'm sorry, watering their sheep, which is the reason why they were able to return home so fast. And so their father was like, 
why did you leave the man there? Like you need to bring him to me, invite him over so we can feed him. And so they had to go back, tell Moses, he agreed. He settled down there with the man. And so what the man did, he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. And she had a son. So her firstborn son by Moses, his name was Gershom. And it meant sojourner. And the meaning of that was, I'm a sojourner in a foreign country. So pretty much the, he was born in a foreign country. So eventually that king of Egypt died or the king of Egypt died. So um, the Israelites, they were crying because they were now under slavery. So they were crying. They were grieving. They were groaning. And God heard their groans. So we're talking about Zipporah because in chapter four, what ends up happening, and this is the reason why I say choose wisely, is because God literally almost killed Moses. Chapter four, verse four through 26, it says on the journey back, as they camped for the night, God met Moses and would have killed him. But Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses's member with it. She said, oh, your bridegroom of blood to me. Then God let him go. She used the phrase bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So God recognized circumcision and the blood, it was the blood, the blood from the circumcision that saved Moses's life. Choose wisely. The wife that was gifted to Moses ended up saving his life. Let me say that again. The wife that was gifted to Moses ended up saving his life. She knew what to do when God met Moses. She felt that God was going to kill Moses and she acted quickly. She hurried up, grabbed her, cut off her son's foreskin, touched Moses's member with it to preserve his life. She, she was very, very quick to know what was required to save her husband's life. And then she knew what to say to save her husband's life. So she didn't just act. She literally followed through and her words held enough power to preserve Moses's life. Choose wisely. So for those of you who may or may not know, I'd often talk about, well, I don't often talk about on the podcast, but I do um, on some of my social media sites, I have spoken about how words do hurt. And I've spoke, spoken about how your words, your words do have power. Um, so we are supposed to not just be intentional with what we say, but we are also supposed to speak in a manner that is impeccable with our words. And we're supposed to be impeccable with our words. I got that from the four agreements and I have come into agreement with <laughs> with the four agreements um, and worked on being impeccable with my word. 
But the reason why I believe that this is so important is because this tells me that Zipporah had also, even though it's not talked about because she's only mentioned a couple of times in the Bible, but this tells me that Zipporah also knew God because Zipporah knew how to reverence him and she knew how to honor him and she knew what would preserve her husband's life. So she knew about covenant relationships. She knew how God took circumcision very seriously. And she utilized that to preserve Moses's life. So in being gifted with his wife, she ended up ultimately saving his life. Now, I wasn't there, so I can't speak for Moses, but if it were me and because he knew he had, he had had a conversation with God. Okay. So it's not like he didn't know God either, but in that moment, it doesn't say that Moses knew what to do. It says his wife knew what to do. This also speaks to covenant with me as well, because Moses was the one that it seems like offended God, but God honored the words of Moses's wife. So that tells me that they were equally yoked because God honored that covenant statement. He honored the act and he honored the statement. So that tells me that they were equally yoked. She covered her husband and God honored that covering. She went through the process she hurried up, took that flint knife. She cut off her son's foreskin and then she touched her Moses's member with it. She I mean, when I say acting, I can envision this. She did it so quickly. What, however many whatever moment it was going to take God to kill Moses, she acted so swiftly that and said what she said so swiftly that God let Moses go. She was so quick on her toes that God let Moses go. It says she used the phrase bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. She knew what to say. She knew what to do. She knew what to say. And she knew how to honor God. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Because a lot of times... Maybe that's the reason why we're told to count up the cost, um, because a lot of times we don't pay attention. We let the wrong things lead us. From what I'm reading, Moses literally was running from the fact that he had murdered someone. He was in Midian. Trying to get away. I gotta get away. I gotta get away. Anyway, so um, so pretty much he was trying to get away. And then these young women are going to water their sheep or make sure that their sheep are watered. And he sees these shepherds pretty much, for the lack of a better way of putting it, attacking them. So he runs to their rescue. He's in hiding Next thing you know, he's got to come out of hiding to protect these innocent women. Then he takes time out to feed their sheep. 
Next thing you know, after the, the um, father, their father gets wind of this, he blesses Moses with Zipporah. Moses is not thinking about a wife from what I gather. He wouldn't think about a wife at that time. He was trying to stay hidden. <laughs> he wouldn't have thinking about no wife. A wife was not on his mind. Nine times out of 10, when all this was unfolding, Moses was not thinking about marrying nobody. He was literally trying to get away and got blessed with this wife who ended up saving his life. Bars. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, looking at that, it, it pays to choose wisely looking and I'm sure he didn't I'm sure it was never in his mind that he was going to be put in a position where he would have lost his life had he not had the right wife that probably was never that probably never even crossed his mind ever he wasn't thinking that he was going to be at odds with God but she saved his life by having a flint knife bars anyway so i uh, <laughs> okay so i digress so anyway so i literally as i am reading this it was very very interesting to me how he also knew talking about moses he knew um how dedicated that he needed to be um and that's the reason why she was with the father-in-law um but another reason why it's good to choose wisely is because in chapter 21, I believe, Jethro tells Moses what to do and gave him a strategy so that he would not burn out. That tells me that he had enough respect for his father-in-law that he listened and applied everything that was said to him verbatim. And he made sure that he found the right men for the job pretty much to be his voice pretty much it was like a um, in a sense a dictatorship he was able to find people that thought like him that were um honest men of integrity and that also tells me that the father-in-law saw that in his son-in-law he saw that he was an upright man and even though he was talking about the type of men that he needed to look for um, in order to, um, maybe I just said the wrong verse. Hold on, let me see. Maybe I just gave y'all the wrong verse. Maybe it wasn't 21. It was 18. My apologies. My apologies. So chapter 18, when Jethro literally, not, okay, so, this he brought a whole burnt off. He brought literally when he came to meet Moses and brought his daughter back and brought his two grandsons back to Moses. He came prepared to honor God. So that tells me that Jethro, that's how I know Zipporah. She had to have had a relationship with God because it sounds like how Jethro was. Um, she was raised that way. And so he ended up bringing a whole burnt offering and sacrifices to God. But then where I see the honor is that they had such a dialogue that 
Moses was able to tell. And now when he's telling him, telling Jethro everything that happened, he's talking about the plagues. Because what ended up happening is that there were plagues. God did the whole, let my people go. Um, Y'all got to read. You'd have to read all those in between chapters to gather that. Um, but Moses was testifying to Jethro about the different plagues that took place, about the parting of the Red Sea. Moses was testifying about that to Jethro. So Jethro got to hear through Moses or by Moses firsthand what all had transpired. So it gave him an a, additional reverence for God because of hearing all the miracles that took place. Um, but then, so you got a father-in-law that honored the son-in-law. You got a son-in-law that thought that honored the father-in-law. And then Moses trusted his father-in-law so much that he literally allowed his father-in-law to, to be present while he's working. And so his father-in-law is like, what are you doing? Why are you doing it this way? You're going to burn yourself out and the people out. And so Moses proceeds to tell Jethro why he's doing it this way. And Jethro's like, uh-uh, mm-mm. I'm going to give you a better way to do this. How I see the respect is that Jethro told Moses or suggested what to do and Moses did it verbatim but I also see that Jethro must have seen these qualities in Moses to tell Moses to look for these same qualities in other men he said and then you need to keep a sharp eye out for competent men men who fear God men of integrity and men who are incorruptible and appoint them as leaders over groups organized by the thousand, by the hundred, by fifty, and by ten. Had Jethro not had a relationship with God himself, he could have steered Moses in the wrong direction. But because he had a right relationship with God, he knew how to literally be more productive, get the same results, and he knew how to stretch Moses in a good way. So Moses honored his father-in-law. He listened to what his father-in-law said, and he did exactly what he said verbatim. That in and of itself shows me that his father-in-law had respect for him, but it also shows that Moses had respect for his father-in-law. Because in verses 24 through 27, it says Moses listened to the counsel of his father-in-law and did everything he said. Moses picked competent men from all Israel and set them as leaders over the people who were organized by the thousand, by the hundred, by 50 and by 10. They took over the everyday work of judging among the people. They brought the hard cases to Moses. So in a sense, he became a judge, it sounds like to me. But in the routine cases, they were the judges. Then Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law who went home to his own country. So in that dialogue of them coming together, they were able to share and catch up. Job, um, Job, uh, Moses was able to tell Jethro what all he had encountered dealing with Pharaoh, trying to get the Israelites to where they needed to be. And he was able to listen to his father-in-law's counsel 
and apply it immediately. Now, for those of you that haven't ever read the Bible, Moses does not get to the promised land. Like he doesn't get to go into the promised land because he was disobedient again. He did something else again. <laughs> I'm not laughing at him, but I'm just like, who Lord, Moses was something else. But even in that, he, from what I, from where I sit, he, he did what he was asked to do for the most part. Yes, he made a mistake, but he did. He got the people away from Pharaoh. He got him away from Pharaoh. But before his father-in-law came along, there were lines of people who had all these different issues and concerns that he would have to sit from sunup to sundown, telling them and guiding them. That's that is draining. I can only imagine that is I'm glad his father-in-law told him, like, look, you could do this a different way because listening to people's problems all day long, all day long until the night. That's draining. And his father-in-law called it. He said, this going to burn you out doing it this way. And it's going to burn these people out, too. Ain't nobody got time for this. He didn't say that part. I added that. But he found a better way. He found a better way. So choose wisely. I said all that to say, choose wisely. Um, be mindful of the words that are spoken to you, that are spoken over you, that are spoken behind your back. Be mindful. Listen attentively. Listen and count up the costs wisely. Um, so that way. If ever, I, Lord forbid, but you just the way this world is set up, if ever, hopefully you never have to run into this. But if you're ever in a situation, you want your rib men to be someone who can save your life. You want your leader women to be a man of integrity, a man that does not have that is not corrupt, a man that fears God. You want that in your corner. Um, at least I know I do. Maybe, I mean, you know, everybody has their own to each his own. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, however you want to look at it. But the way I'm set up. if And I, and okay, so I don't have much time, but I'm going to share this with you. One thing that I have come to realize, because, you know, whenever you're dealing with um, spouses. And whenever you are talking about your vows, there is a part in the vow that says till death do us part. Now I'm saying this for me. If I am on my deathbed, I don't want my spouse to pray for my death. If there is still living within me, I want my spouse to pray for a divine healing where I will still be in my right, clothed in my right mind, where my health will be restored and where I will be able to live my life to the fullest capacity. I do not want to be yoked with anyone that's going to be like, Lord, go on and take her because I got I got my own life to live. No, that's a selfish prayer. But I also will be the spouse that if your wishes are to live and not die, I'm going to be the person at the altar saying, God, bless him indeed. Heal him from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. 
bind every demonic spirit that is trying to come up against him and take his life prematurely. So you need to be mindful of the the person you yoke up with. There are people that will yoke up with the wrong spouse and that spouse is willing them to die. Don't let that be your testimony. Pray without ceasing. Ask God to reveal those hidden matters of the heart, the things that are not obvious to the eyes. Pay closer attention. Don't write it off as, oh, no, it, no. Don't make the excuses. Do what you, do your due diligence because it's important. I have witnessed, I have literally witnessed. It was two different scenarios. I had a scenario where a relative of mine was fighting for his life. To this day, I believe had he had the right spouse next to him, he would still be alive and well. But this spouse, in my personal opinion, was more driven of not having to be in the by your side and all of that. To I want to live my best life and get the, the oh my God, I'm not going to go there. But anyway, so that in and of itself, I was able to witness what that looked like to be married to a selfish partner. I've also been able to witness what it looked like for a woman to tell me that her husband has not always been loyal to her or faithful to her. But when he was on his deathbed at that hospital, that woman was there day and night and made sure that he got the best help. And then at one point, made sure he went to a facility where they could still take care of him around the clock. So you got one woman who thought her husband was not being faithful, had no evidence, took his life. You have another woman who knew her husband was not being faithful, didn't care about the evidence and preserved his life. Choose wisely. Now, I'm not I am not promoting infidelity. That's like a thorn in my side. I don't like it. I don't co-sign for it at all. But what I'm saying is if you're going to be with someone and you're making the decision to have a life partner, when it says through good, through bad times, sickness and in health, those are things like don't just look at them or hear them as words. Weigh the words. See how this person deals with you, how they treat you, how they minister to you or not. Count up the cost. Because I don't want to be the spouse that if I'm on my deathbed, my future hubby is like, oh, yeah, go ahead and pull the plug. She's good. What? But there are people that will put themselves in that situation because they were they ignored the signs. They saw the selfishness and the self-centeredness, but they ignored it. Because they figured, oh, if we if we say I do, then he won't be or she won't be as selfish or self-centered. But if they ain't thinking about you now, boo-boo, they're not gonna think about you when you say I do. Okay. I'm gonna go ahead and conclude this episode. 
I hope that y'all have the most amazing evening, morning, afternoon, whenever it is that you hear this episode. But please, please, please do me a huge favor and take care of yourself because there is only one you. Signing out, your girl, Teresa. Y'all have a blessed one. Bye. And thank you so much for listening.